Well, we, we certainly get a, a wide cross-section of people from around the country. That's, I guess, one of the benefits of these kind of uh, virtual meetings. Um, not that we have the technology really uh, dialed in, but thanks to everyone on our staff here to uh, for putting this together. So um, maybe uh, maybe we'll start off today just seeing what topics are of interest to people. Any burning financial questions or other questions? Yes. <laughs> May I start? Please. Thank you. Um, and thank you for, for ho hosting this. Uh, I always appreciate it. Um, generally speaking, I would love your take and Kyle's take on tech stocks as we go into 2021. And I would include EVs in that, um, in that consideration. Great. All right. That's a good question. Are we, are we, we're going around the horn for questions, I assume, first, and then we'll. Yeah, let's get a. We'll yeah, dive into them. Barbara has to have a question because she has always so many questions. She's got a wave at least. That's good. Um, well, uh, um, you're welcome also to email or text one of us. Yes. Our we, cell phone. We, we can do the, the housekeeping there. So if you have any specific questions, please feel to free to drop them into the chat within Zoom. And so if you send a chat, we're all watching the chat and, and we'll be able to see your questions. Also, if you prefer to email, if that's easier, you can email at info at raccoongroup.com, and that's our general mailbox, and so we'll see those questions come in. So uh, either one works great. There we go, and we've got European bond funds added to our list of questions. So uh, We were just talking about Europe versus the U.S. a couple of, uh, a couple of hours ago. <clears throat> so... Uh, Kyle, do you want to start off giving sort of a general overview of the markets, and then um, I'll jump in? Of course. Yeah, happy to. So the the last two weeks have sort of uh, changed the di dynamics of the markets pretty pretty quickly. Uh, we, we've seen, in general, actually, to start the year or since the election, we've seen smaller companies, uh, what's considered the small cap stocks, we've seen them greatly outperform, also value stocks, so those with lower valuations outperform what has been kind of the, the hot trade over the past five years being uh, growth stocks, largely technology stocks, such as Facebook or Apple or Amazon. And and so this year has kind of bucked the long trend. We had basically a 10-year period where those smaller companies and value stocks underperformed. And since the election, uh, kind of on hopes of the reopening economy, we've seen that kind of trend reverse. But uh, the last few days haven't been very kind to the stock market. It's been keeping us on our toes, although uh, thankfully all of us invest for longer than a few-day period. Uh, but 
but right now where we sit is essentially that the S&P is down uh, close to one and a half percent, 1.3 percent. We see the S&P down. We also see the NASDAQ composite down 2.1 percent. It's pretty fascinating because the NASDAQ has seen the largest moves over the past two weeks. This is largely the uh, it's definitely a more tech heavy index in the U.S. And uh, so I think it was up close to seven percent to start the year out for the, the first two months of the year or so. And and now we see it down 2%. So getting close to what would be considered correction territory, which is a uh, move downward of, of 10% at least. Uh, globally, we see kind of global markets moving somewhat in stride with the U.S. So when we talk about uh, – talk about Europe or other foreign countries, we see Euro stocks just down slightly down uh, 0.2% to start the year. We see Japan down to start the year. Uh, but where where we've seen the kind of the difference in the trend is we see emerging markets. And this is that that growing uh, growing economy type of coming out of the the pandemic trade is thinking that uh, emerging markets really stand to benefit. So emerging markets being one of the only areas that we've seen kind of take off to start the year. They're up just over one and a 1.3% to start the year. Um, those are kind of the, the broad market indexes. And I, I assume we'll talk more specifically about sectors as we go on. Sure. Um, one very interesting thing that's happened is uh, People are starting to talk about inflation again for the first time in many, many years. The uh, interest rates on the 10-year bond have essentially doubled from, from a very low level, mm-hmm. and they're not higher than they were from, uh, uh, 18 months ago. But um, that is one of the sort of Achilles heels of the economy is interest rates, inflation, interest rates. Um, one of the things that that people look as a potential harbinger of uh, of, of trouble um, that that it hasn't continued, and uh, we'll talk more about the country, the state of the country, the state of sort of the deficit, um, the economy, and uh, I think today I, I'd like to touch quite a bit on China and the sort of the challenge that China. Uh, poses for the U.S. Um, in the in the long run. Um, so um, most things uh, are interrelated, and the questions that that people have about international bonds and cryptocurrencies they're all related to the sort of the desire uh, on on our part to diversify on behalf of our clients. Uh, that is that we, we don't feel like you have to be able to predict the future as a long-term investor, but you do need to make extra efforts to diversify. And Kyle and I, uh, you know, have talked and done some investing in cryptocurrencies for a couple of years. Um, and it, it's an easy way of talking about speculation. Is it real? Is, is the movement away from, paper money real or is it just kind of a fad given the fluctuations that of course everyone's aware that that bitcoin has gone from i don't know you know 5000 to 50000 in the course of 
let's say, a year. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, Bitcoin's up 70% just this year alone. Just since January 1. Exactly. Yeah. So it's hard to imagine that something like with that kind of volatility could act as a currency, as a, as a, uh, as a way of moving away from, let's say, the U.S. dollar, which along with inflation and interest rates is one of the factors that has allowed the U.S. market essentially to go up for 20 years since September 11, 2001, when, when, when the Fed and the government decided that supporting the markets was not just a financial imperative, but a political imperative, we, we've had what essentially has been a bull market. And, and the underpinnings of that are uh, the U.S. dollar being the, the reserve currency of the world that allows us to essentially borrow at will and to to borrow without interest rates going up in fact is the one of the underpinnings besides the growth in earnings which is real of US companies and Kyle will talk more about sort of the prognosis for profits in US companies um, versus especially versus international companies um, uh, that 20 year trend uh is 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 not yet um is not yet uh undone and and so when when we look ahead and say well where should we be putting our money uh there's long term money and short term money but um we we we're we're always keeping our eyes on the bond market and interest rates uh and and they have definitely started to move so we'll see how 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 that goes um, let's talk a little bit about the real economy. Kyle gave a, a kind of a summary of the markets. Um, the, the, it, it's hard to judge the numbers. There. The numbers of growth are good and they should get better with, with the vaccine and, and certain, certain aspects of the certain states and, and, uh, industries opening up. Uh, People have saved a tremendous amount of money that the personal savings rate is the highest that it's been in sort of, I don't know how, how long. It's, it's, I mean, in forever. It's personal savings rate this past month, I guess it was the January reached 20%. And so we saw a growth in earnings of 10% in January and the savings rate went up. So basically people are starting to earn more as they get back to work, but the personal savings rate reached 20%. So saving 20% of everything they earn at the moment. And, and what that means is that there could well be a very large like boom in consumer spending because we're not a species that's well known to like guard our shekels too well. We like to spend our money. Um, and, uh, and enjoy life. Um, some people are better at that than others. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, and so that's, that's, that's a good thing for the near term future, uh, because consumer spending is, uh, 75% of the U.S. economy. Um, the fact that a lot of that money was created by, by the feds is a whole nother, uh, ball of wax. Um, uh, everyone knows that, that we're looking at uh, a close to a $2 trillion stimulus plan, uh, 
of which uh, a little less than half is actually going to COVID-related items and the other trillion or so. Um, we've come a long way. Just We used to talk about billions and then hundreds of billions, and now we're into trillions. And I don't really know what the next word is after trillions. Um, it, it, someone's got to come up with Ooh. a nice... We've got a few years before we get past the trillions, I would yeah, imagine. Well, good. Maybe in my lifetime, we might we might get past the trillions. Good. Um, um, so so the U.S. economy from from the manufacturing uh, is 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 not weak. It's not strong. Uh, unemployment is 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 down some, um, but. Uh, the growth of the economy, uh, we're not quite where China is. China is the one economy that has returned to pre-pandemic levels of activity. And, and China has made uh, very big advances, uh, ones that we don't see from our kind of small perspective, unless we're really paying attention to international events. China has really ramped up their their trade advantage and uh, um, sort of their internal consumption levels so that so that they have you know that they, they've come out of this in a, in a much stronger economic position um, Kyle any other comments about the general economy no I mean we've definitely seen a, a tapering off so the initial jobless claims continues to be flat. And so what we're really seeing is that uh, while the economy has improved pretty rapidly, we're sort of getting to a place where we're stuck, where we need we need some more things to happen before the economy really gets going. All right. Well, um, see if there are any. Remember, if you have questions, I'll look at all those. Yeah. Questions so that, under the chat. I guess we have to read them if we if we invite them. Yeah, I'm reading and writing them down, so we we have them here, Rob. So we can. Uh, it might be a good place to go into to talk a little bit about Europe versus the U.S. in terms of investing. Good. Um, well, clearly the U.S. has has kicked butt over the last decade, and the in in, in the stock area and the bond area. It, it's 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 not even a close comparison. Um, as a result of of the and, and there are many reasons for that. Some 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 very good reasons with the tech companies that have really come to dominate the U.S. market. I think that the five sort of Fang companies, the Facebooks and Amazons, made up half of the U.S. market's return in 2020. And, and that's a very um, kind of sobering thought. But the earnings, uh, the price that people are, pay, are paying for U.S. stocks is considerably higher than for Europe. So if you were a long-term value investor, you would look to diversify and add money to the European markets. Um, European bond funds, which was the specific question, um, uh, bond funds really are, are, are almost 100% related to interest rates. 
and the interest rates everywhere are super low, as everyone who's gone to a bank or who's bought a high-grade bond, the interest rates are just, it's hardly, how do you... Yeah, they're minuscule when we look at them. And so if we're looking at being a bond investor, there's no real incentive for moving into Europe as a bond investor. What we see in Europe is we see negative interest rates in countries like France, Switzerland, Germany is negative as well, Netherlands are negative. And so as we look at Europe as a whole, there's no real incentive to invest your money in fixed income in Europe because the rates are much too low. I mean, generally across the world, you'd have to take, if you wanted to invest in bond funds, you'd have to move into some type of emerging market debt, a place like Brazil that would pay a 6% rate on a 10-year bond or Indonesia where you take on that considerably more risk in order to increase your yield. So we're not very up or enthusiastic about buying bonds. The bond funds that we are interested in are very short-term bond funds to protect against rising interest rates. And Europe is a sort of a morose place when it comes to government debt and interest rates. Essentially, there are government controls on interest rates. And so because the governments are borrowing so much, they've done everything they can to keep interest rates low. And that combined with the deficit spending, the trillions of dollars, is partially what's pushed so much money into the stock markets. Again, there's real growth in earnings in some companies, but the overall level of the stock market is, it's really what else are you going to do with money other than buy stocks if you're looking for a return that's over 2%. Well, I was going to say that moves you into risk as well. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing that increased savings rate, right, is people unwilling to take additional risk. So they've seen the stock market go up and then, you know, getting additional risk, they'd rather just hold cash and have savings, although it's, you know, rather inefficient at the time being with interest rates so low. Good. So there, Mark asked the question about EVs, which I take it as electric vehicles. That's correct. Is that, sometimes you have to translate for us older people these acronyms. And a company like Tesla, you know, we're not supposed to give opinions, really. The opinions are given our own only, and they should not be considered investment advice. That's the disclaimer we give. Because when you're an investment advisor now, you have to take a law degree on the side. It's a required part for liability purposes. And we're just talking like friend to friend. We're just kind of having a fireside, well, sort of a fake fireside, kind of like those 
propane with the pictures of fires. That's sort of, this is our fireside chat. And, and, and our opinions really, we're just, we're not drinking alcohol yet, but, um, so, so what do you think about Tesla, uh, Kyle? Well, is it too expensive or, you know, Mark wants to buy more of it every time he calls. So what should we do? Mm-hmm. I, I find that one of the most interesting things is we've seen Tesla. They've probably pulled back, I think, 25% or more from their peak. Now we, we see tra- Tesla, I think, was trading in the 600 range today. But when when Tesla grew over 600% last year, and then we pull back 25% this year, it, it doesn't really move the needle for us in a sense, right? And I think generally people have their own opinions about where Tesla is heading uh, probably to Mars one day uh, is kind of Elon Musk's plan. But uh, when, we look at, when we look at Tesla and the valuations, it, it just it doesn't make sense to us in terms of how do we invest investor capital without taking unnecessary risk. Now, a lot of people have made great amounts of money in Tesla as a trade, but as a general investment thesis, it, it doesn't generally make sense for us to put clients money into. Uh, but, you know, when, when you compare auto sales, you basically, uh, Tesla's valuation is greater than that of all the other automakers who are now shifting their strategies into electric vehicles. And so Tesla is worth more than all the other automakers and sells about, I think it's, less than 5% as many cars as all the other automakers. And so uh, the majors, that is. And so there's there's a clear disconnect between sales and valuation of the company. And so for us, when we look at it, that's part of what's driven driven those valuations so high that we see in the U.S. as a company like Tesla with, you know, growing sales, but, but nothing significant to uh, justify the current pricing. Um, but I think overall what what the what the trade is when we look at it is that people are looking to general sector changes. So Mark asked again just generally about the the Chinese EV market, right? Chinese companies they have a, a low cost advantage and so and they also have serious pollution problems and so they're moving that direction. But when we look at it, there's a general trend towards EV or clean energy. There's all these boxes that need to be checked. And so people have been buying into those sectors rapidly and really I mean, driving prices up very quickly. And and that's where we start to get cautious when it becomes the group trade. It, it, it certainly makes you more cautious. And uh, Bitcoin would fall in that same category um, uh, that when the enthusiasm uh, makes it go up as quickly, there's bound to be a correction in it. There's, I, I believe there is a place for, for uh, electronic currencies and that eventually, the, you know, I think the Chinese government recently announced that they were creating a, an electronic uh, currency of their own. And um, Bitcoin serves a number of purposes outside of uh, government controlled uh, 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 realm of exchange, which is, you know, it, it was initially very, very useful to sort of bootleg or, or people outside the system. Um, and uh, 
and it may and may may continue to be be useful. Um, so, I, I think a, part well part of the part of the Bitcoin has been that people see see it going up in price, and it's become it's become an investment vehicle more than anything. A lot of conversation around was a store of value is what people like to say. Oh, it's a, another place to store value. And uh, as we describe it, anything that can move up 10% or down 20% in one day is a terrible store of value because you never know what it's going to be worth tomorrow. Uh, but generally, I mean, we're starting to see that it's growing in terms of being added to the kind of corporate mainstream and so there's probably a place for it for people, but but really as a, as a trading vehicle, not necessarily a currency or something else. It's also anything but a green investment, so to speak, because of the amount of energy that it takes to maintain the Bitcoin system uh, is somewhat equivalent to the country of Argentina is is what I've read. So. You know, if you're, if you, if you see yourself as a, as a, as a green person, just keep that in mind. The other question they're raising, Rob, around Bitcoin and the ESG question is where it's being mined. Yeah. Most, and the most. region and the fact that that's where a lot of the camps are. Yes, that's, that's right. In China is where a lot of the Bitcoin miners are. They have, I don't know if it's subsidized electric prices or, well, China and Mongolia, Mongolia is very strategic because it's cold. And so it can allow their servers to run cooler using less energy, but still, still controversial. We're, and we're kind of up for a field trip to inspect some of those <laughs> factories. I've always really wanted to, to go up there to that neck of the woods. It's like there wouldn't be a whole lot of traffic and, you know, be great stars at night and things like that. So. Uh, but I guess that has to wait that the travel and that goes into the travel industry question. What do you know? Um, the expectation is that, that the travel hospitality industry is permanently, uh, uh, diminished. That even after there's herd immunity that, that the sort of Personal that you you won't go to a restaurant in New York and have to like get intimate with someone you don't know just to talk to the person that you do know by shouting in their ear and maybe getting half the conversation that that we won't go back to that kind of uh, density. I, I don't know if that's true or not. If you, if you live in Florida or Texas, maybe you're already back to that that density. Um, uh, but the airlines are, are, are going to be diminished, the cruise lines. Um, uh, and One of the articles we, we read today, Rob, it showed statistics. And so when we look at uh, everywhere from flight attendant to restaurant uh, workers and to hotel workers, all those numbers were anticipated to decline pre-pandemic already. And so they're expecting that this has actually accelerated some of that, and we're going to see even lower numbers of employment in all of those sectors. But there'll, there'll be plenty of jobs elsewhere. If you're technically oriented, 
or you're a caregiver for the, the great population bulge, sort of in retirement, post-retirement. Um, so plenty of jobs if you want to work. And uh, um, But I think when we look at the travel industry as a whole, because the, the stock prices went down so much and the valuations were pushed down so far, people saw those as sort of a strategic trade. Now, there, there's a lot of big bets being made on a, a rapid recovery, which which may happen, but it's also unlikely that it'll happen as quickly as people are hoping. There's There's going to be an amount of kind of trepidation or hesitancy for many parts of the population to return to normal. Uh, it's I would say business travel will be reduced greatly as we all get better at doing zooms and and uh, communicating in other methods. Uh, there's there's a lot of reasons why the industries will will be reduced moving forward. One of them being the the basically the vaccine passport also that it looks like countries like Europe, the EU might start requiring and there's a large amount of the population that doesn't want to be vaccinated. Indeed, um, that sort of we we try and stay away from religious topics and sexual topics, and then personal healthcare decisions starts to fall in that area as well because people have strong feelings, and and at least so far we're we're all entitled to our individual opinions. Isn't that right, uh, uh, Katie Eaton? <laughs> um, uh, so let's 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 move on. Yeah, our, if I make just w- one more comment about that, because yeah. we have several investments in the hospitality industry. Yeah. We've talked we've talked quite a bit with them and also uh, some of the analysts that they work with, and you know they see a trend saying that when we look at travel, things like hotels or air travel or I mean, cruise lines is probably even later down the line in terms of recovery, but they really don't anticipate uh, a full recovery in, in travel for at least another two years is kind of how they project out. And so uh, we're, we're kind of a ways away from that period where people kind of think it's it's a rush to the door as soon as the economy opens, but it's likely to take much longer than that. Well, another sort of positive aspect <clears throat> of um what we're seeing <coughs> is uh, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, I, <coughs> I'm speechless. Um, just uh, I was gonna. This is a first. So um, I know my voice isn't really quite there. So Kyle, why don't you talk for a second? Let me. Because I was, I was, I had muted my microphone and I was yelling to the crew out there to to get you some water. So I think that would be a a generous thing of them to do for you. Um, but uh, definitely, I think. You know, when we when we look at those trades, I think there's probably some better undervalued areas of the economy that aren't necessarily as dependent on that. Well, we've seen oil stocks really 
really rise quickly. Uh, Rob's a big, I'm going to get him when he can't talk. So he's, uh, he loves his, his trade of Exxon and Exxon has been one of the high flyers to, to start this year. And really the bet is that we're going to see uh, much greater oil use as we kind of reopen the economy. People are going to be driving their cars. They're going to be flying places. Um, and then there's also been I mean, some restrictions on supply, which, which could change, but, um, but some of those trades have been really, um, uh, really moving quickly. Okay, now I get to retort. <laughs> so um, the, the, the one, one sector that we really have a lot of interest in and that, that people do because of the vaccine development has been biotechnology. Um, there have been a number of companies that have come to our attention um, and there are people on, on, on this call who are kind of specialized in that. And uh, so the opportunities for investment and the development of these, not just vaccines, but other kinds of uh, cancer therapy, et cetera, is probably one of the most exciting areas uh, of the economy. And I think this, this whole period of, of, uh, 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 social distancing and the, the 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 ability of industry to pull together, of companies to work together. You see one drug company producing, you know, a, a, a vaccine that another company invented. That that kind of cooperation and uh, could really make a big difference going forward in the the availability of medical technologies and. Uh, not just on the pharmaceutical company level, uh, but medical devices and and then basic research companies, which is what we have we have an interest in. Uh, yeah, as I think. Well. Yeah, research testing. Uh, one of the articles uh, we reviewed today, it mentioned it just called this the decade of disruption, and we think that healthcare is probably one of those industries where we're going to see real rapid growth of, you know, whether it's therapies or testing or, I mean, there's probably a variety of ways in which that disruption really accelerates over the next 10 years. Good. So I, I missed the part about oil. Um, I can't, which side of that trade did you take, Kyle? Were you, were you? I, you know, I think that oil, when we look at oil as a, as a, shorter term investment. So uh, it was at very depressed levels and, and the worst performing sectors from last year being energy and financials are the best performing sectors to start this year. So sort of uh, there's a, they call it kind of call it the, the boomer trade is what it's referred to as on the internet. And, uh, but they, you look at those and I think as a, as a long-term trend, it's, uh, you're probably not going to get consistent real long-term growth out of those trades, but on a, on a shorter term basis from the levels where they were at, it's, it's likely a, it's not the worst area to be invested, I would think. So one of the sectors that has been the strongest has been real estate. Um, not so much the REIT industries, but the, uh, I'm sure everyone, uh, who's on, on this call knows what their local real estate market has been doing. Um, 
and the 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 the, the demographic shift or the population, the desire of the population to have a sort of clean, safe environment is likely going to create some very uh, important long-term trends for real estate value. And the real estate industry uh, drives the construction industry um, and, and home furnishings and home improvements, uh, Lowe's and Home Depot, you know, are, you know, ha have done very well with home improvement. And uh, the, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an industry that I, am, I interact with uh, very frequently on, in both, on both coasts and, and, and in, in, the, uh, in the Rocky Mountain region. And it's, um, it's really amazing how many people want to live in single family homes and not in high rise apartments, right? That's people do not want to get in elevators. They don't really want to get on in, in public transportation. Um, and, uh, the, the people of, of, of my age group who, uh, have the ability to look around and say, well, where do they want to live? Do they want to be, uh, dry? How much do they want to be driving? For example, whether they're driving electric cars or not. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, and, and, and that also ties in with the home healthcare industry as people get older and they need a higher level of, um, access to some kind of healthcare or companionship or whatever, um, that those factors are driving the future of a big portion of the real estate industry. And um, as, as everyone probably knows, we do a fair amount of private lending in the real estate area. Um, and it's been a very big beneficiary of of the of 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 the COVID related changes in the economy and the lifestyle changes. And I think one valid question like like the travel industry is are these long-term trends in the real estate industry? Will people you know want to come to an outlying area uh, of Santa Fe where the houses are big and expensive to maintain or will they want to come in and be closer to services um, and that's true about about most cities and um, I think I think that will be a, a um, you know a very important uh, factor in, in how how our private investments fare along with the return of the travel industry a real interesting trend we've seen because well and I, I imagine you'd have a comment on this because we're really seeing a you know, a shift in terms of where real estate dollars are moving, right? It's moving away from uh, corporate space, moving, uh, we're seeing a lot of dollars move into residential housing and uh, mm -hmm. people have really been moving to own their own homes recently, right? With the, with the low interest rates, the availability of mortgages again. And so we're seeing uh, a real appreciation in the prices of homes, and just recently, there's actually a, a divergence in most major metropolitans between uh, 
home prices and rental prices. So we saw a taper off of rentals, right, where uh, rentals aren't as desirable anymore. And so we've seen home prices continue up and then rentals start to dip down. So it's been a real shift. And eventually, I mean, those two should be more aligned where there's less supply and rentals, but um, but they've currently diverged. Right. The um, question about mortgage finance, um, uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to put your finger on the pulse of how bad the delinquency problem is nationwide uh, with, with um, working people not being able to pay their mortgages. The banks have, have been uh, constrained from taking action in, in a lot of areas, and that, I think that was just renewed or that's up for renewal in the, in the current bill. Um, I, the statistic that I, I just read is $1.3 trillion in delinquent mortgage. To put that in context, that's about the same as the total amount of student debt outstanding in the country. Um, we start to spill over a little bit into, into a political discussion when we talk about the forgiveness of debt of student debt, which which um, uh, has its detractors and supporters. The same thing is true about who is going to pay for the delinquent mortgages. Will will the government step up and essentially subsidize the banks as they did in 2008, so that there's no disruption to the general population that owes their mortgages and and that haven't been able to pay. There are still a tremendous number of people out of work, um, and uh, we don't necessarily see them because we interact mostly with professionals, with lawyers, accountants, uh, 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 you know, doctors, engineers, uh, uh, people in the entertainment industry, and, but there there uh, are a lot of problems in the um, the, the 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 retail sector, and as we we talked, in addition to the um, the uh, the hospitality and travel and leisure industries, and they make up a pretty big portion of the of the sort of working population. So, um, the the retiree market, which which is a pretty big demographic uh, bulge in the country. That's that's looking to uh, whether they're changing their location or not. Um, it's it's uh, certainly a driving a boom, and and you'd be surprised in areas that have been hard hit by COVID, like Los Angeles, for example, the housing prices have not gone down at all. It's a it's a very strong market. Um, and there are only a few places like New York in particular and San Francisco that have seen, um, and I'm not quite sure about Chicago as another sort of hot, you know, dense area. Um, but perhaps I digress, Kyle. Why don't you get us back on track? <laughs> no, that's okay. But I, I would assume that when we look at the real estate lending that's happening, you're seeing a shift in the types of projects that they're funding. Is that correct? Right, away from away from office retail and towards residential. 
the big home builders in North Carolina who, um, who uh, Alfie, one of our private investments, um, uh, lends money to people that sell property to the, the um, D.H. Hortons of the world, uh, all, all of the, the huge developers. Those developers are now not selling their homes, but they're holding on to a pretty big portion of them for rental because they see the demand for single family homes continuing to increase o over the years that, uh, uh, again, people don't want to be in big office buildings uh, or, or, or big houses or big apartment buildings. The question of, of what the future of retail is, um, is tied into companies like Amazon, which, which have obviously dominated the market and taken the set, the wind out of the sales of big box stores and taken market share away from pretty much everyone. Um, so what kind of service industries continue to thrive? And is that, does that pr provide any opportunity? Because people still want to go out and do things and, and, and do some of their commerce, not at home, I think, but I could be wrong. No, I think that's, that's true is eventually they would like to be out in, in public at some point, but the jobs are certainly moving the other way. They're moving away from hospitality and leisure industries and we're seeing more warehouse jobs as people set up online or e-commerce operations and a lot a lot more jobs related to to technology right and and medical care mm -hmm. i keep saying that like i need the medical care so it's, it's not it, quite it, true yet but it, it's important to be always <laughs> planning for it <laughs> Well, um, right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, artificial intelligence and and uh, as a both as an industry and as a strategic area, um, which impacts the China-U.S. relationship and and sort of the the question about what does the next sort of decade look like. It, where, where do we wake up a decade from now relative uh, our position relative to China and relative to new technologies? Um, I think everyone knows that the Chinese have some, that, that they're, that they're not yet as big an economy as the U.S. They don't wield the same kind of influence internationally as the U.S., but they are certainly on the ascendancy. Uh, both militarily and in terms of influence through their sort of uh, the Chinese foreign policy of, of going into countries with natural resources and cutting deals that, uh, that are very attractive. And in, uh, during the Trump era with, uh, with the U.S. withdrawing from a number of international uh, uh, trade organizations that ha allowed the Chinese to step in because uh, power abhors a vacuum, right? That, that old expression is certainly true. And the Chinese have increased their influence in places like 
like Africa and South Asia. Africa's population has just about quadrupled in the last uh, 45 years. They've gone from about 350 million people to 1.4 trillion on, on the continent. Uh, their fertility rate is 4.4 children per wo woman, as opposed to um, places like Singapore and South Korea, where it's 1.1. So uh, it is likely that, that Africa will continue to grow at, at a geometric rate. And, and of course, it's one of the last places where the medic, you know, medications for vaccines and things like that will, will reach. But, um, uh, population equals consumers, which equals a, a business opportunities. And, and, and Africa is one of the main focuses of China's, uh, efforts, uh, to, to gain influence and to increase their trade. I, um, I, I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm not at all a conspiracist person. Uh, uh, but if you look at the last year and you see the impact of, of COVID on the Chinese economy relative to the U.S., it's been a dramatic, it's not quite a reversal of the real levels, but the, the China's fortunes were on the downward trend. The, the Trump sort of back and forth which had, has its pros and cons, it's a, a different topic, was having a material effect on the Chinese economy. And, uh, and just like when you look at Hong Kong and the political activity in Hong Kong, the Chinese have used COVID as a, as a cover to effectively take over Hong Kong and to undo the civil rights there, it, it, which was going to happen eventually. Um, Hopefully, my hope, I don't know how to quite describe Jeffrey as my hopeful future son-in-law. It's not that he's hopeful. I'm the hopeful one. I, uh, I hope he's my son-in-law, but he's from there. His father has been there and his family's been there generations. And, uh, um, the, the, the civil liberties are gone. And, and most people there are fine with it because of the economic benefit that, that they receive from being a, a favored kind of trade uh, uh, zone in China. But so, so I just, I think, I think the interesting thing here, maybe part of the topic here is to say that there's a, the race in artificial intelligence, right? Which in the future, it's likely capabilities of countries and control globally will relate to prowess and in artificial intelligence. And that's much of what China is using to create control in those areas like Hong Kong is they're using great amounts of artificial intelligence, which allows them to rapidly scrape data and understand trends uh, following cameras or social media trends. And, and then they can quickly move to institute control using that data. And I, and I think that's part of the big thing, Rob, that, that we're talking about is that as, as countries move forward and they gain greater computing powers and artificial intelligence powers, it gives them greater influence globally, I think. 
It does on a personal kind of control level. It also does on the traditional military level mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the sense of autonomous weapons and the next generation, which is which will be here in the next decade of uh, and, and people are talking about this, you know, from gunpowder to nuclear weapons to uh, autonomous a artificial intelligence driven weapons as being equally as important a, a step where where um uh, we don't we don't, can't really understand the implications of it but the, the chinese are, uh, are 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 focused on that the it's not a given that they will win but it's important to recognize that we are in a a um a, an adv- adversarial competitive position with them that it's not it's not just to see what company is going to make it, whether whether Ford or GM are going to win, or you know whether the Chinese automobile uh, solar battery maker are going to outstrip the U.S. This is really the people that control artificial intelligence will be able to do things that we 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 will have a hard time imagining, and um, it's not an alarmist thing. It's just it's just what. What's likely going to be happening if, if one country, and we see it when we, when we read about these hacks, right? The Russian hacks of the election process or what, whatever the various hacks have been of, of the, uh, the media companies, right? That were going to publish something that was critical of China. Remember that where they, they kind of went in and wiped out that entertainment company's computer system. So that they wouldn't show, I don't know if it was a movie or whatever that was critical of China. These are, these are censorship issues, uh, um, as well as, uh, I guess that's a form of social control that you were talking about, Kyle. Um, but the, it's, it's an extremely serious challenge to our, our, you know, what we believe our way of life is that we deserve and we have a right to, to free information or, or or access to information, um, uh, th- those are sort of the draconian sides of it. On, on the other on the other side, the artificial intelligence will allow people to manufacture drugs or, or organisms or for 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 good or, or bad purposes um, to to manipulate genetic material. Is, is, is going to be one of the applications. And so what does that really mean as far as investors are concerned? You know, what does it mean as far as opportunities or, or, or dangers or, or things that we might think about? It's something that I think should bring the country together. Like what doesn't really matter what you think about domestic politic issues or social issues or political correctness issues, but the ability of the country to to support basic research or to develop. Remember, Trump was talking about bringing um, not just making America great, but bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. That was that was part of the ticket on which he was elected in, in 16. And I don't think it's really happened. But but with this um, this this uh, competition with China where China controls, and again, I'm not being alarmist, I'm just, there are industries like the rare earth industries or the semiconductor industries or 
telecommunications like the 5G uh, 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 industries where where you read about these reactions about about excluding what I forget how do you pronounce their name uh, who who Huawei yeah. Yeah. yeah the Uyghurs or well oh, just, or Huawei yeah I got you yeah just th- these are very important issues that are that are economic and political in terms of does our country have the capacity for the next decade to generate domestically the equipment and the brain and the intellectual power. Uh, and, and that, and that raises the issue about our university system and who funds it and, and, uh, you know, what's allowed to be happened because the university system is under attack, right? With COVID has sucked out a lot of paying students and, there, there hasn't been the kind of uh, research and development that there was back in the day, back in the 60s and the 70s for basic research. And, and, and uh, I always am cognizant that people on this call know a lot more about these things than I do. So please correct me in private later, if you don't mind, uh, and, 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 and let me know where I went astray. But I think the, you know, there are industry, there are companies that are developing AI and, and they're ones that we want to be part of. I think that's, and, and they're ones that really require its, uh, I mean, IBM is one, uh, that, that's developing quantum computing. And, uh, and, and so, so that's one of our long-term investment themes. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, I think that goes back to tech stocks, right? Is, is really looking at tech stocks not for who is the or what is the hot technology stock today, but just gener- generally understanding the trends which are driving tech stocks into the future, like AI, quantum computing. Uh, there's a variety of places, data visualization, which is related to AI. Um, and so we look at those trends and think about them long into the future. I mean, we sort of see sort of the the last week in technology stocks, which is which has been bad. But uh, like I said earlier on, thankfully we invest for longer periods than one week, and and so these trends over the next you know multiple of years really should continue and accelerate. I I have a question related to that. When, Please, when people in using the pronoun we. Who is we? Is it the nation? Is it the citizenry? Is it the um, the leadership of the nation? Who is we? Who are we? I think is the proper English. There you go. Who the are we? Question remains. <laughs> Let's ponder that. Who the heck are we? Kyle? Who are we? Uh, well... There's there's a variety of we's in which which we evolve ourselves with, uh, but I mean when we look at, at at trends and investing, the the we is the the group here in the office, and then it extends to levels uh, of people that are above us, uh, not directly, but but broadly above us. So the the overall investment and research community is is part of our we. Um, if there's a specific we you're looking for, I'm not sure I I know. Which which part of the question, Gary, 
Like whose responsibility is it to pursue these things? Well, you initially talked about um, the nation, I think, or the citizenry coming together and focusing um, on things that had to do with the future and right. AI in particular. Right. And, and that the a lot of the other issues that um, the citizenry focuses on, those issues are not as important as what you're now talking about. Right, right. So let me rephrase the question, see if we have it right. That's we being Kyle and I have your question right, um, which is if if the issue is the long-term strategy with a country like vis-a-vis a country like China that has a combined military, industrial, political presence and control, and the United States is very, um, what do we say, fragmented politically, and and there are their regulators and their industry and their stockholders and and bondholders. Um, how can the country come together? I think I think the country is. Uh, it raises the question: Is there? A, do we have the political will, or the or the capacity? Do our leaders have the the, the vision and the leadership abilities to do what's needed over the next decade, instead of fighting over who's going to get the the latest spot on TV and show up someone for the next election? Is, is the country capable of coming together to, to, to meet a challenge like that? Clearly, they're able to do so with a, a, an immediate challenge like, like a virus, right? A virus is an immediate medical challenge, and, but, and putting someone on the moon is sort of the typical example. Developing AI and staying, and staying there are many ways that the U.S. can keep China from driving the world into a totalitarian situation. Uh, um, and the international standards boards would be one, or the ability to control research that comes out of the U.S., mm. the, the ability to protect intellectual property, which everyone is on the same page that we should do it, except there are big, there's big money for for Chinese lobbyists and companies that do business with China to, to, to move to lobby against controls on, on the export of U.S. technology and, and, you know, our universities take in and, and train a lot of the Chinese scientists and technocrats that go back and work against the U.S. interests. And I'm not, I'm not a us versus them kind of person. Uh, but, it, does our political system have the ability to respond to a threat like the loss of control, which is a 10-year, let's call it a 10-year issue. And it's not a, a warfare. It's not like there's going to be a ground war. It's really an economic war and, a, and an R&D war. I, I don't know the answer whether we have that or not. I, there, there are certainly people who have that as a concern, um, who, who's capable of mustering those kinds of resources and getting people to sort of get over their their differences about Republicans or Democrats? And you know that 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 that's a challenge that that really our our 
really our the future of our democracy depends on the answer to that yes. question. It's it's a it's a very important question. And and young people who, you know, I mean, we've seen tremendous change as young people. I'm, you know, I, I don't I really don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer. Yeah, I think, I mean, and some of it comes from, you know, multi-level applications, right, where we develop AI technologies, which are, have broad sort of financial incentives for developing, but they also have capabilities that benefit the government or security. And, you know, so it creates multiple applications, both for the public or at the corporate level, because there's going to be a requirement in which corporations are going to have to protect their data and maintain security and use AI functions in there. And so there's a large incentive for corporations or new startups or entrepreneurs to capture those parts of the market while also finding places where they can uh, earn incentives by cooperating with the, the government as well. And hopefully not, you know, not foreign governments entirely, but largely the, the, the U.S. government in some ways um, without, without misuse of those resources, of course. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very important question, Gary. Um, thanks for asking it. The the when you look at people who who go to work for the government, the only government agency I know anything about is the IRS, unfortunately, and <laughs> uh, uh, not in the technology area. Um, you know, they 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 work at a pretty low efficiency rate. Um, and they're not incentivized, you know, they, there's not a lot of upside to be being a stellar sort of career person in the government ranks. There's some, and, and I don't think social good is enough to make, get the kind of talent that is required to have, let's say, a long-term vision and let's say pull all the companies together. To develop, let's say, and like like the uh, super collider conductor, right? Did did we ever successfully develop one in this country, or was it done over in Switzerland? Right, you're on mute, uh, Robert, so we can't really hear you, right? You he gave you a yes. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. You can be a New Mexican and be socially distancing on Zoom. Thank you very much. There we go. So, so did we, anyway, so, I mean, you're, the Europeans are more used to cooperating than Americans. Did, did, did we participate? Is that, a, is that a, a good analogy of, of developing that super collider conductor? Yes. We're part of it, but, um, it's, you know, it's mostly a European thing. And there was a chance to start it in the U.S., either in Colorado or Texas. And Congress balked at providing the money. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just, this is probably more important than I don't know who can say more important. This has a, a, an immediate practical application of data security, as Kyle rightly pointed out. How do you protect your power plants and your missile silos and your naval communications when someone has a big bad computer that can break into your computer? Yeah, that's and, you know, it's uh, uh, 
I, I don't know whether we have what it takes. I think that that the, that goes to like the cooperation between the U.S. and the and the European Union as well, which is one of the central tenets of this. How do you muster an effective response in the AI industry? Is you have to have it across allied. The allies have to cooperate. It's not just a U.S. and and you know Trump obviously was no big help to U.S. and European relations. Um, uh, but you know it's 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 a question. It's a little like investing for the long term. How do you invest in 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 basic research for the long term when the short term pressures are budgetary and and the you know I, I don't know you think our our deficit is is crazy and so we'll come back to the economics of our deficit yeah, as, maybe we're yeah let's talk a little bit about the deficit perhaps and then we're we're pushing just past an hour so we'll try to leave a, a little bit more time for questions as well. All right, good. Um, so I'll just, I'll just, there was a report by the uh, Con Congressional Budget Office, which said that, um, that the deficit in 2020 is uh, $3.1 The biggest deficit uh, uh, per capita since 1945. So this is the biggest peacetime spending binge that the country has had ever. And um, how does it get dialed back? Um, it's, it's, it's unlikely to be dialed back in 2021 because the spending programs that are already on the books will, will continue that trend. Now, uh, a fair amount of that money uh, ends up going into the stock market because the, whatever money ends up in the hands of people that don't need to spend it, which which is I, I don't know maybe it's it's 15 or 20 percent of the the stuff the two trillion that's coming down the pike now will end up in the markets because of what Kyle was referring to the personal spending rate. They said they said. I saw a statistic today and, and it, it seems awfully high to me, but they said of the, if the upcoming stimulus is approved and distributed to people, now only a portion of that is distributed to the people and there's, there's some long-term money in there, but they said that it, that they could expect up to 37% of that distributed to people to go into the stock market. A third. Oh. And, and, and so that's, that's about 200 to $300 billion going into the market. So, so let's just go and buy a bunch of stocks. I think. <laughs> oh yeah. This is not, this is not investment advice. Oh, we will, right. we will add right. our, uh, our legal <laughs> compliance there. Um, and you can't, it's hard to, Hard to have an old dog abide by, by new rules. Anyway, um, so um, how do you, what, what does the future look like for the spending? Now, what does it mean that, that we have a, uh, the trillions of dollars in deficit is, um, it, de it depends on A, that what, what we started off talking about, the confidence of international investors in keeping the US dollar as the reserve currency, keeping, it's why keeping interest rates low 
is essential to the economy um, and uh, um, uh, and having low inflation because it, 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 those are essential things to keeping the, the sort of the wheel the wheel turning. Um, where money comes up for however much money for these kinds of like research initiatives and AI, it's probably not a very big portion of the spending, but 75% of the spending is what's called non-discretionary. It's for, you know, benefits, things that have been promised to people contractually. And so the, 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 the room to cut back once it's very hard to cut back. It's certainly possible to cut back on spending, but, but it's difficult to do. So that's not a, a tremendously optimistic outlook on uh, paying, uh, reducing the level of deficit spending. And um, I don't know, Kyle, what, what do you think the solution is? Well, I mean, I'm not sure I quite know the solution. There's, there's probably smart people who work on that, but, um, I do, I do see that, you know, it creates this environment that we're in now while people are really nervous about rising interest rates. Well, people that don't rely on, on bonds and such are nervous about rising interest rates. Uh, there's a real incentive for the central governments to keep interest rates really low. And so while we've, we've seen a push up, you can't, you couldn't really expect that we're going to see real movement upward in interest rates. And so there's going to be a lot of manipulation. Karen and I talked about, uh, well, I guess the group of us talked a little bit about the, the Fed starting to buy longer term debt now, right? Trying to introduce dollars to drive down long-term rates, which makes it cheaper for them to borrow. And so there's a lot of implications in there uh, just, you know, for the broader economy or the, or the market uh, when we look at it. Good. So there's, I think, I think what it is, is that there's, you, you get stuck in a place where you're, you're constantly trying to figure out short-term solutions Without, without ever getting to the long-term answers. And that's sort of the, the trend that we're stuck in right now is that we're, we're always finding ways to worry about today's interest payment and never thinking about the principal payment. So let's see, we have 15 minutes or so um, since we've delivered such uplifting uh, outlook on interest rates. Interest rates will we believe will likely stay low until they don't stay low any longer. And the stock market's likely to, you know, continue to be a good reservoir of value um, long-term. I'm trying to be non-specific, Kyle. And not That's fine. Advice. So is there anyone other than Mark who has a question? Um, you are welcome to ask your questions if you have more questions, Mark. Yes. Well, we'll leave the floor open for one more minute. I liked Mark's question about. Oh yeah, great. 
I was just going to say I liked Mark's question about streaming platforms because even my son last night noticed that Paramount or he's like, gosh, mom, everybody has a platform now. You know, everybody is streaming. And, um, you know, so it's not lost on a 12 year old either. <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting question, Kyle. I guess the, my question would be, you know, do you think all of these platforms will just become the norm? Do you think it'll start to affect, you know, some of the bigger players like Netflix and now Disney? And No, I, I mean, I would imagine there's an eventual consolidation as people seek to buy content eventually. Uh, we've We've seen, we saw some of that a few years back where the telecoms felt themselves slipping and started trying to buy, uh, media companies in order to have content. Um, I think the, the streaming platforms are giant troughs of, of data and they, they know a lot about consumer preferences and everyone's moving into it now and there's going to be those that succeed and obviously others which are, are less successful. But the, the trend is going to continue. The way in which we receive our media is coming, going to come through the, the interwebs, as, as they say, rather than, you know, through traditional cable lines and eventually there'll be, you know, a real shift to really all, all internet platforms, but, uh, that growth should just continue consistently into the future and, and, and it'll become cheaper and cheaper to, to use those services. And we're, we're, we're always happy to talk about the streaming platforms. Uh, Tessa, where do you see the raised hand? DW has a question. <laughs> Would you like to unmute? Do you have a question, sir? Or did you press it by accident? <laughs> there we go. Is he muted? We unmuted, but... Uh, uh-huh. Who is he? Uh, there we go. That would be you. Oh, uh, oh I see. <laughs> well, I my uh, comment was still... Uh, harking, harking back to, to what Rob was saying about, um, and I want to make it short, but I, I think that it, it, he was addressing a moral issue, what, what we should do beyond our personal, uh, profit, you know, where we should look at the national picture, the international competition, and what we should support. And I think the question that, I think it was Gary, I don't, I think he said it was Gary who asked the question, who is we? And I think that question, it pertains to this, to this here. If we consider ourselves as a nation versus another nation, that's certainly a perspective you can have. But I don't think that today that's the most important thing. I think it's we who want to, to kind of promote democracy, to promote freedom, to promote opportunity, to promote equality versus the, the the elites that are kind of uh, taking over more and more and manipulating the news and every, and stoking up international uh, tensions in order to to have better armament sales and all those things I think we have to look at that and I think if, if you look at that the issue of uh, the for instance that our elites are just as, as, as just as bent upon using you know, total surveillance as the Chinese are. 
But to focus on the Chinese in that is counterproductive because it just stimulates the international competition instead of what we can do more about is our own elites and how they how they abuse these new technologies. Anyway, that's all I wanted to comment on that. Thank you. Yeah, good point. It is difficult, you know, when you have so many different uh, sources of news and that now it's very difficult to know whether to believe any of them. The Internet brought us, was supposed to bring us more information and clarity. And what it's done is it's just 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 like the entertainment industry, because there's so many different shows and the country doesn't all watch the news and the, the standards of checking and uh, 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 news correspondence being out there, not just not just on uh, an iPhone, but actually going and doing investigative journalism. We don't we don't have the same source every day. I I bemoan the fact that I really don't have a good source of news mm-hmm. that I can believe in, and so. Mm-hmm. What do you, where do you do with that in the sense of certainly everyone is for democracy and for freedom of expression and, and, uh, and that let's just assume that people are well meaning in the government and in industry by and large, uh, with the fragmentation that exists, how, how do you get, uh, people to, to unite around some long-term goal? I'm, I'm good at asking questions too, but not answering. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think some of it is just just the reality of of that elite class, right? That there there is an AI race which exists, and and how we interact with with that is is sort of you know does come down to the individual level, but it's certainly something that's there and happening. Yeah, the big hope is that there becomes a financial incentive for Google or someone to who has the resources, whether they have the ethical and the country's, you know, best interests at heart. Who knows? Maybe they do. But those are the companies that have just think of the excess resources that the Fang companies have now that Apple has is Apple. And, you know, it's not part of their corporate charter that they have to solve the compet, you know, to, to, to save democracy. Let's just call it, you know, to preserve the freedom uh, or to preserve civil rights. That's not, that's not necessarily in Apple's charter, but these are the people that, 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 you know, could do that. Not that it's, it's not their, it's not that it's, it's not their given responsibility to, to do it though, you know, I mean, the iPhones definitely have empowered people around the world who are in stressful situations to deliver real-time information to other people. And and uh, at least they, they used to do that in Hong Kong. Remember, that's how, how people got got to organize when before COVID was they were using their iPhones to... to to gather and, and do things. So I'm, I'm not sure we need to figure out a solution, but the, the combination, there is tremendous excess wealth 
in the country and in the West, it's just not organized. And like, like it is in Russia and China, um, uh, or even Japan, which has a more insular outlook about protecting their culture and, and protecting themselves. Um, you know, the U.S. is, is well versed in cooperating with Europe to face global challenges. And we've done it several times when it was perceived as a physical war situation. And, you know, there's lots and lots of different kinds of wars going on now. Uh, you know, war against the virus, the spread of the virus or you, you pick it. Um, so, I don't know. We have a, we, by meaning the royal, we ha, have an optimistic uh, outlook on on it that that we'll figure it out somehow because people want freedom. The Chinese want freedom. You know, the people that that are under the the thumb of social controls would prefer to be able to practice the religion that they want or or whatever, and that there are. Catholic people who are repressed in different places who are willing to do, to do what they want. And so um, that doesn't necessarily relate to investment opportunities. I apologize. I wanted to say something, Rob. Great. Please. Uh, in response to what you said about you don't know what news to listen to or you haven't found a good source of good news. Something like that. Is that what you said? Yes. Mm -hmm. I've seen I've seen two different charts circulating online from two different sources. I have one of them here, but they were they were very well matched. Um, so I tend to look at it when I have that question about who to trust. And so they have this chart where it either skews to the far left, to the far right, to central, and then they go from false fake news up to the truth. So they basically, in in this kind of circle on the graph, in between skews slightly right, skews slightly left, and high up on the truth-telling factor, a lot of our, uh, like NPR and BBC, which are two favorites of mine, are still within the mainstream and very high on the truth-telling. And then... Uh, so anyway, if anybody's interested in this, it, it, it's quite, you know, like I, I lean left. Um, but my go-to NPR and BBC are really quite central and high on the truth telling. That really surprised me. And, um, I just find this really helpful because, uh, even, even like, uh, right, uh, national news like CBS and, um, MSNBC and CNN, they're, they're, well, MSNBC is skewing further left and a little lower on the truth telling, but still above in the truth telling. So I'm not going to bore you guys with all of my uh, well, yeah. commentary. Well, on well, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with it. And so I can, I can pull it up, Rob. And then if anyone's interested, yeah. feel free, feel free to give us a call or email me and I, right. I can share it with the group. There are a couple of sources, and I found that they were complementing each other. They, and so there are people out there researching this and charting it, and I've, I found that really useful. Great. Thank you for 
contributing that part. All right. Well, we're we're about at our time here. Do uh, you want to take any further questions or comments, Rob? Or definitely, we everyone has to have a chance at a parting shot. So we we welcome your good news as well. If you have a a piece of good news you'd like to share with us, we're we're always open to that. Oh, I'm going to be a great grandma. Yay. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. I, there we go. I know I don't look like it, but. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, that's the future. We all have hope in the future. And uh, I think it's super important that, you know, we support people and uh, encourage people to. It looks like looks like Katie's going to give us some good news too. She's giving a wave, either leaving or giving us good news. How many people have had a vaccine? Those of them too. Yes. There we go. We've That's got great news. <laughs> we've got some masses growing here. All right. Me. All right. Great. We've got a a phone caller that, with that vaccine actually, as well. When oh, was there a phone call question? No, they were they were vouching for their uh, receipt of the vaccine. Good. You know, I, I I saw something that said that they expect by the end of April for the um, whatever the transmission rate to be extremely low. I don't know whether that's true or not, but you know, we're we're in our projections. We're figuring the summer as being a time that things will, you know, that what, whatever, that, that things will change, will, will have changed somewhat. And uh, I'm trying to be politically correct. That's a hard, that's a hard bar, high bar for me. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for, for joining. And we welcome your feedback via email or text, or you can just come by and see us when you're feeling comfortable. And we, we all have masks and we social distance and it's getting warm enough to meet outside again. And we're almost there. Yep. So, so thank nice you everybody. And you. Right. thanks for yeah. thank you. showing up. Yeah. Thank you everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks Rob. Welcome. If you want to cut the recording, Najoni. Yep. We can see who.